The Beckers team is excited to be making our return to in-person events this fall. Join us in September for Beckers Hospital Review 6th Annual Health IT and Revenue Cycle Conference. We have opportunities to attend the in-person program in Chicago and also to join us virtually from the comfort of your own home. For information about registering and to find out if you are eligible to attend free of charge, reach out to us at registration at beckershealthcare.com. This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by a remarkable Chief Executive Officer. We're joined by Dr. Susan Ehrlich. Dr. Ehrlich is the CEO of the Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. She's going to tell us about herself, about the hospital, how competition's evolving, what she's most focused on today, and a little bit more. Dr. Ehrlich, can you take a moment and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the hospital? Sure. Good morning. Well, Scott, thank you so much for having me um, on your podcast. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to um, just say a little bit about uh, myself and especially about our hospital and our remarkable team here. Um, My name, as you mentioned, is Dr. Susan Ehrlich. I've been the Chief Executive Officer here at Zuckerberg San Francisco General since April of 2016, uh, a little more than five years ago. Um, It's actually my 12th year as a hospital CEO. Uh, I previously served as the CEO for San Mateo Medical Center, which is about 20 uh, miles to the south of us. Uh, I'm also a a board-certified primary care internist, and I care for a panel of patients here still um, a half a day weekly. And I have to say that um, doing that over this past year and a half during the pandemic has been incredibly interesting and eye-opening. It it always has been for me, and it's always been an essential part of my work as a chief executive um, caring for patients. But this past year, it's really been interesting. Um, Let me ask you one question about that. You must be one of the very last of the CEOs that still does that. At one time, that was very much viewed as a um, point of pride that somebody at least takes some shifts, sees some patients, it gives them great connectivity to the system, and now it seems like it's become almost impossible to do. Do you ever feel like you're, you're one of the last that does that, that still sees some patients, and it probably gives you wonderful perspective? Well, you know, that's really interesting. And, and of course, it's something I think about all the time because um, it does take time. And um, it's not as if you can do a CEO job part-time. Um, but I still believe that it's critically important to uh, to my work because, uh, especially being a primary care physician, it gives me a window into into patients and into the operations of our, our hospital here in a way that I never would have if I wasn't seeing patients on my own. So, uh, it, yeah, go ahead. I mean, it must keep you sort of quite grounded as well and quite centered. I mean, it's, it's a shift a week that really must, or, or half day a week, that must keep you sort of very grounded in what you do. Incredibly in so. Yes. And I mentioned this past year has been really important uh, because it's helped me understand uh, how patients get access to care during the past year and how they are now re-entering care uh, for those who uh, you know, were unable to connect in one way or another, um, either in person or over the phone. Um, the other part of um, my work recently that's been so interesting is having conversations about uh, patients getting vaccinated. And, um, you know, for the most part, my patients have been incredibly grateful to be vaccinated and and to get vaccinated. 
But for those who are hesitant about becoming vaccinated, having those deep conversations with them has been truly interesting. And it, it helps me understand the topic of vaccine hesitancy in a way that I never would be able to uh, have understood if I were just observing from the outside. And, and, and take one moment there. When you hear vaccine hesitancy from patients, and, and particularly now, I guess, in the cusp of this Delta variant and people being much more concerned again about COVID, what are some of the things you're hearing in terms of vaccine hesitancy? Where, where are some of the concerns? Right. Well, um, as a matter of fact, I had a conversation with uh, one of my patients yesterday about this very topic. He's one of the remaining few of my patients who have not been willing to be vaccinated. Um, this is a, a gentleman who's uh, an African-American man in his early 60s. Uh, he has quite a few medical issues. Um, and we talked about the, the Delta variant because he had just not been willing to be vaccinated. In his mind, there's not enough information about the safety of the vaccine. And um, he was saying to me yesterday when I was trying a new tactic, um, you know, by talking about the Delta variant, he said, you know, I know, I know I'm going to need to do it. I know that my, my family is going to make me do it, but I'm just not ready. I'm really not ready. And, you know, there's, there's only so far you can go with folks. You know, the, the techniques are to listen to them, to hear their concerns. Uh, but even then, you know, using the best techniques that we know about um, engaging people, there are still people who, for whatever reason, uh, don't feel they have enough information, don't feel that the safety of the vaccine is well enough known. Um, and I think especially here in San Francisco, where people generally are willing to be vaccinated and have been vaccinated, it's our African-American population who's the most hesitant. Just really a fascinating situation. Take a moment, Dr. Ehrlich, and, and the role of the CEO, you've been a CEO for 12 years, five years there. How has that role evolved in the period of time you've been a CEO? What's some of the observations you have on the evolution of the role of chief executive officer? Well, um, it's hard to know if, if, if the role itself in general has evolved or if I'm just evolving as a, as a person. I think you know, one of the things that's been so clear to me as my, my career and my learning has evolved is the importance of, of the executive team in, in supporting the work of the hospital, um, the importance of using lean philosophy and tools to um, set our strategic agenda and to use uh, data-driven improvement as the, as the basis for, uh, for what we do here. Um, I feel like in a lot of ways, the job of the CEO is uh, supporting people um, and ensuring that um, every, everyone's uh, advice and um, information is listened to, um, particularly the frontline staff and our patients. Uh, it's a little bit like being a, a conductor, I think, of an orchestra sometimes. Uh, but really keeping that eye on the strategy um, for the organization and ensuring that um, executives on down are all uh, really focused on uh, achieving that strategy. And take a moment on strategy. How is strategy evolving? What, what are you seeing there? I mean, you've got this magnificent role as leading a 
great institution that's also, I think, the most important safety net hospital in your world. How is strategy evolving? Yes. Um, let me talk for a minute about uh, who we are here at Zuckerberg San Francisco General, because um, what our strategy is, is very much, um, it very much emanates from, from who we are as an organization. Um, and first and foremost, we really are an iconic safety net hospital. Um, we, uh, we are the only safety net hospital in San Francisco. We're also the only level one trauma center in San Francisco. We serve uh, all of San Francisco, which is about 800 uh, plus thousand people and Northern San Mateo County. So our trauma area is more than a million people. We have the only 24 seven psychiatric emergency service in San Francisco. That's also an incredibly important role. Um, and uh, it's important to note that we are a major, major teaching hospital and a major academic center. Um, the hospital, uh, we run the, the hospital in partnership with the University of California, San Francisco. Um, all of our physicians, including me, uh, are credentialed um, here and our UCSF physicians. Um, we train uh, about a third of all of UCSF trainees. So uh, that's a really important part of who we are. The other thing is that our population is, is really a safety net population. We serve almost all uh, folks who are on Medicaid, uh, Medi-Cal in California, and Medicare. Uh, so when we talk about strategy, there's not a lot of competition for our patient population. So our strategy is really focused on improving the health of our patient population and improving the community's health overall. And this past year has really driven that home. It's really driven home our value to the community because we've been such a critically important institution in terms of caring for uh, COVID positive patients as well as you know, the, the, the usual population we take care of. Does it ever you know, like amaze you that your, your competition is not really competition because there's so much of what you do that no one else chooses to do. I mean, you, you choose to take care of the most vulnerable, the most impoverished, and, and the big, big systems aren't looking to do that, really. I mean, they do, but they don't. Does, does it ever strike you as, as fascinating the niche that is filled by these magnificent safety net hospitals? Yeah, you know, uh, different parts of the country um, address the uninsured and the underinsured and underserved in, in different ways. And in the state of California, and in particularly in the Bay Area, um, the, the tradition has been um, to serve those folks with um, large, uh, mostly county-run um, hospitals and, um, and health departments. You know, that, that's just been the history here, and it's, it's served the community really well. And I would say that it particularly has been important during this past year and a half during COVID. Um, one of the reasons that's been important is because there was such a hugely disproportionate impact on our population during the COVID pandemic. Um, about, just to, to illustrate that with numbers, in San Francisco, uh, about 15% of our overall population is Latinx. Um, but initially in the pandemic, more than 50% of the people uh, who were infected were Latinx. Um, that that percentage evened out over time, but it's still 40, 42 or 43 percent of the infected 
COVID-infected uh, population in San Francisco is Latinx. So, um, and here at DSFG, the population of Latinx hospitalized patients was uh, more than 70%. So we, it was really important for us to be focused on that population and to be serving that population at this time. Let me ask you one question, but is that because so many of that population are frontline workers in different ways, didn't have choices to work from home, that we're, we're just um, you know, stuck being out when others who are more privileged amongst us were able to not be out? Or what, what drives those hugely different numbers? That's, that's exactly right, uh, what you just said. The other thing that's really important is that uh, our Latinx population tends to live more densely. Uh, so, for example, I was talking to one of my patients recently who's uh, a Latinx uh, grandmother in her 60s, and she lives in a studio apartment with four people. So that kind of living situation is also um, very common uh, among our lower-income Latinx uh, families, especially because the, the price of living in San Francisco is so incredibly high. It, it, it truly is, not Incredibly expensive part of the world to live in, isn't it? Yes, it is. I think it's it, it may be the most expensive place to live in the United States. I I'm not sure about that, but it's certainly one of the most uh, expensive places. Dr. Ehrlich, it is just a great pleasure to visit with you. I learn so much every time I talk to you. Is there anything else that is on your mind that you wanted to share with the audience today? Well, I, I just want to say um, how grateful that I am to be in San Francisco. I always have been. Um, I lived, I've lived in San Francisco most of my adult life. But this pandemic has really showed me that being in a community that's dedicated to following public health recommendations, data, and science, um, and being in a community that really supports, um, supports its community, supports all members of its community, has, has been so incredibly important during this time. Um, it has led to us having uh, one of the lowest death rates um, in the country. It's led to us having one of the highest vaccination rates in the world uh, among our population. And, um, and that has contributed to our hospital being full and busy for sure, especially during the third surge over the winter but not nowhere near as overwhelmed as, as hospitals are in the country, even, even today and, and in the world. So uh, being in a, in a community that really values public health and values all members of the community, um, I've been really grateful about. And I've been, I feel incredi incredibly privileged to serve as the chief executive here, to serve the community and to, uh, and to just you know, be a part of this, of this moment in history. It's, it's been it, incredibly it, challenging, but it's also been an incredible learning opportunity for all of us. I mean, it's, it's truly fascinating to hear you reflect on that. I mean, there's a, there's a fascinating period of time early in the 20th century where the, you know, one of the great plagues hit San Francisco. And at the time, the city wasn't as public health conscious. And that, and that goes back a hundred something years ago. Mm -hmm. but, but it's really amazing, the evolution of communities and so forth, because there's a fascinating history of San Francisco having been hit by other plagues over time. And, and it's amazing to see the evolution of a city and how well it responded to this, isn't it? Right. 
Well, I think, you know, the HIV epidemic was was very instructive here because it was exactly that assertive community-based approach that um, that that led to us, uh, you know, developing a model of care for HIV. And that model uh, that we developed, you know, the community-based, community-focused, uh, science-based model is is very much like what we have here for COVID now, and it has served us really well. Uh, so that's that's been very gratifying, and it's interesting because many of the same people who were instrumental leaders uh, during the HIV epidemic, including uh, our Director of Public Health, Dr. Grant Colfax, are also leaders during this time. Uh, so that's been really interesting to see and reflect upon and to hear their, to see how their experience has been so helpful um, during this time as well. So fascinating. Dr. Ehrlich, thank you so much for taking the time to join us again. What a pleasure to visit with you always. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.